Yeah, this is Matthew 13, and we're going to start in verse 3. And he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground, where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up, since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. So um, this parable, as we've kind of said, is ultimately about... um, Uh, the state of a person's heart. It's a parable that's about these four different types of soil that a seed can be cast out on. And the point of it is, first and foremost, that it is really the condition of your heart and my heart that determines how um, this, the kingdom of God is going to actually grow and develop in our lives. Like, it's, it's the state of our heart that determines that. And so um, we've talked about the hard heart that is not open and receptive to God, the rocky soil, which is shallow and doesn't allow roots to grow, and the, and the thorns that grow up around a good plant that cause it to be choked out, which is like all the cares and worries and, and materialism of life and the world. Last week, we began talking about the good soil, um, which is sort of the goal. It's sort of what we're supposed to be is the good soil. But um, this week, uh, but we only kind of began that, and we only kind of talked about one aspect of that, which was that the good soil, first and foremost, is known as a soil that is receptive. So the most important thing for us is to be people who are seeking God. Um, We don't just seek God in the beginning and then find him and then we're done seeking him. Uh, But in order to continue to be a disciple of Jesus, in order to continue to grow in our faith, we continue to seek after the Lord, to be open and receptive to him. Otherwise, you can be here in a church right now. You can be a part of a family that's Christian. You can even be building a family that is Christian. But if you yourself are not seeking God, then um, you will find yourself in a place where it, it seems like you're not really receiving things from God. You're not actually growing in him. And so that's why we spent a whole week just talking about, about asking that question of each and every one of us, for each and every one of us, am I now, am I right now, am I seeking God? Am I seeking his face or am I not? And what would it look like for me to do that? This week we're talking about um, how the good soil is a kind of soil that once the seed has started to grow, it actually now uh, allows a plant to grow in a certain kind of way. And what it does is it allows that plant to establish roots and it allows that plant to uh, develop fruit and not just be a plant that grows only to quickly die. In order for us to look at that, we're going to look at something else in Scripture, uh, which is a psalm. And we're going to start off easy this morning. We're going to look at the first psalm. We're going to look at Psalm 1. And so if you have a Bible, you can turn to that, or we'll put it up on the screen. That's actually where we're going to spend our time this morning, is in Psalm 1. And I'll read it with you um, here. I'm going to turn to it. Psalm, uh, the first psalm, says this. 
Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. So this psalm, uh, in it, is describing something that we see a lot in the wisdom literature of the Old Testament, meaning things like Psalm and Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, things like that, which is, um, it is talking about two different paths in life or two different types of people or two different ways that you or I could choose to go in our lives. Uh, It is drawing a distinction between a blessed man and it says sort of a wicked man or the wicked type person, which are pretty extreme differences. Now, um, the reason it's doing this is to basically give us the choice. Ask us which, uh, which one are you and which one will you be? Now, the blessed man uh, is simply the, the man, the, purpose, the person who is uh, ultimately experiencing, is able to experience a kind of happiness and fulfillment that is true and real and lasting. That is what it is to be blessed. Um, to be blessed, it's sort of like the, the word shalom, which means peace in the Old Testament that we read about, which is like more than just a temporary type of peace. It's like a real, lasting, profound peace and flourishing that, that people wished upon one another. So to be the blessed person is to be the person who is truly living the good life, the person who is truly living a life of fulfillment and joy. Uh, maybe even if their circumstances don't appear that way in the moment. The wicked person, on the other hand, is it's really how a person is referred to when they are anyone who is choosing to live their life in anything other than God's way. So scripture is really black and white about this. And it seems very even, we would say, like judgmental about it. Like it's passing judgment on and saying, if you are not ultimately on the path of God, you are choosing the path of wickedness which seems pretty, pretty extreme to a lot of us, you are choosing a path that involves judgment and then involves destruction. There are these two different paths that we can choose. And ultimately, what we're going to see here is three things. The first is the source or the strength of the life of these two types of people. Um, the second is the condition of their life. What does their life look like? And the third is the abundance of their life, or what does their life actually produce? What actually comes from these two different types of people? We read this in the beginning here. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. So there's really only one thing that is said about this blessed person when it comes to describing the way they live, 
when it comes to describing what makes them blessed, what makes them someone who is experiencing this much better kind of life. And what it is, is this person delights themselves in the law of the Lord. You see, this morning what we're talking about is what it looks like to establish roots in our lives, roots that are able to um, sustain us and give us the ability to produce true abundance and fruit in our lives. And as we look to what it looks like to establish roots, we look to a different sort of kind of uh, Christianity that I think a lot of us are often used to or think of. You see, in, in, in Christianity in America, especially today, is mostly sort of seen as like a series of like motivational, uh, inspirational talks. That's, that's kind of what uh, even real, really religious uh, life is in our world today. It's sort of been reduced for most people to a series of inspirational or religious talks that kind of engage us. They kind of move us. They maybe give us a sense of, of, of a better way to live our life, a way to be different. They give us um, something to feel hopeful about. Uh, and the goal is to walk away from these talks more motivated, uh, more healthy, more clear-headed. Maybe you get a better focus on your priorities. Maybe you're, you're, you have a better way of approaching trying to improve your life. Um, I can scroll through Instagram, I can scroll through TikTok or things like that, and I can find, like, in any given time, like, 30 of just the most powerful and inspirational sermon bites that exist, like, uh, from some of the best communicators on the planet. And those things can really motivate me. They can, uh, they can really encourage me or inspire me, or they can give me some direction. This is how many people approach uh, the Christian life is you come to a place like this each week and you kind of get your fix, right? You kind of get your encouragement as someone gives you something inspirational and motivational that connects with you. And then you go on throughout your week and it kind of wears off and then you come back and you kind of get it filled up again, right? Or, or maybe like I, I scroll through and I find these things and then, I, and then I use them as I kind of navigate the day, as I navigate my life. But I know I'm gonna go to bed and I'm gonna wake up tomorrow and I'm gonna need it again. Uh, it wears off. And so then I go back and I find more and I find different things and I find better things. And then I, for that day, those things have kind of gotten me through. They've kind of brought me through. They've given me the inspiration, the focus, the, the reprioritization of my life. You know, this time of year is a time when that is like everywhere. You know, it's abundant, whether it's religious or not religious. This is sort of the way that I think we take in things now and we try to work on and change things about ourselves. But what, um, what this is talking about is a completely different kind of faith. Because this system that I just described, which is the way that we operate in faith today, most of us, especially in a consumer culture where we think, if I have a problem, I'll Google it, I'll look on Amazon, I'll find something that'll fix it, and then it'll, I'll be able to move forward. In that type of living, what we fail to do is we fail to establish roots. And those roots give us the ability to have a faith or a life that is sustained throughout whatever comes or whatever happens, which means I can then get up the next day and I don't have to kind of start all over again or reinvent it all again or look for something else to get me through that day. And eventually, as life gets difficult, and maybe I even have an extended season of things that are hard, I don't have to actually uh, only draw faith from those things. Roots have been established. My faith can last longer and be more abundant and productive. Uh, we need roots. We see this in the parable of the soils. We see this here. And these roots are ultimately, they are 
sort of what we would call habits. We would call them patterns. We would call them rhythms. We would call them disciplines of the Christian life. As we develop these things and cultivate these things, they give us the ability as we push deep roots into the soil to sustain life regardless of the circumstances in which we're facing. And roots begin with our thoughts, which is why the psalmist says here that this person who is blessed is blessed. Why? Because they delight in the law of the Lord. And they delight in the law of the Lord by meditating on his law day and night. We, we spent a year in Romans, and when we looked in Romans 12 at what it looks like to live out a faith uh, that you believe, uh, what we saw was that it begins with you are transformed by the renewing of your mind. You see, the things we think about determine the way that we act and live, and the way that we act and live then determines who we are, who we belong with, and who we identify with, and how we see everything. So it begins with my thoughts. It begins with my mind and what it's focused on. What my mind tells me about me, what my mind tells me about you, my mind tells me about everyone else and everything else outside of me and you. This is where roots begin. And so this psalm is just talking about someone who delights in the law of the Lord. The blessed man is someone, first and foremost, who is known by their love of God's word, of God's law. It is by um, their love of that, it is by their devotion to that, and they're, and they're going back to that again and again and again, that they become the blessed person. That is what sustains them. To delight in the law of the Lord sounds like a pretty nice thing. To meditate on it day and night sounds like a nice thing. I don't know that, that many of us would describe our relationship with the word of God as I delight in it. Um, I, I find myself drawn to it day and night, meditating upon it. Most of us would say we may not feel that way. You see, the things that we delight in are the things that we really just find. It's like we think of that word, we hear that word, we think of like a, just a real sense of joy, of pleasure in something, right? And that's a unique thing. But the blessed man is someone who delights in the law of the Lord, and in doing so, they establish themselves like this tree ultimately planted by, it says, a stream of water. My son began playing football this last year, and um, I've talked about it a lot, and I'll keep talking about it for a while until something else interesting happens in my life. That's how it works. And, um, and, I, and I, I was like, well, we're going uh, to have five nights of practice a week. It's going to be two and a half hours a night. What did we sign up for? And I thought, yikes, okay, this is going to consume our life, which it did. And so then we, and they said, you got to be at practice because, you know, your kid could like break their back or something and you're going to have to be there and, uh, you know, like help out. So I said, okay. So we go to practice and uh, you set up your camping chair and you get your umbrella and all this stuff or whatever else you need to be comfy and you plant yourself there and you're there for two and a half hours a night, five nights a week, and that becomes your night. Now, what surprised me was how much I began to love being there. It was just the right combination of the absolute best time of year, um, the absolute best time of the day and the best time of year. So it was like nice and pretty. I got all my vitamins in. It was nice and sunny, but not too hot, you know. Um, and, uh, and it was like really relaxing and just kind of like a nice way to end my day. Plus, I get to sit there and watch my son do something that he loves and that he's doing pretty well at. I get to watch something happening that I enjoy. And, uh, and I just found myself wanting to go and just delighting in it, just delighting in being there. My, my daughter really likes doing stuff 
like keeping busy, both of us are like this, and doing stuff like with our hands. And so we are often building things together, baking things together, trying to grow things together. And as we do that, I find myself stepping back sometimes and realizing just how much I delight in this with her. My wife and I really enjoy being in nature together. We like going out into nature together and, um, and just, we, we love that. Um, it's always been something that we've enjoyed and something that's helped us connect with one another as we kind of connect with God too. I find myself in those situations delighting in them, right? These are things that we delight in. And when you think about the things that you truly just delight in, No one has to make you like them. No one has to remind you of how good or valuable they are. No one has to tell you to appreciate them. You just do. That is what it is to delight in something. And when we think about the word of God, and the psalmist is telling us that a blessed person is one who has developed a relationship with the word of God, that they have found themselves really delighting in what it brings to their life. And I talk to most Christians who would say, that is not how I feel about the word of God. Not because the word of God is bad. Not because it doesn't deliver, but because of my discipline and my habits. And the truth is, I probably haven't spent the time cultivating the rhythms of being in that to where I have found myself delighting in it. Because here's the thing, guys. All these things I mentioned that I delighted in, they came after years of establishing a relationship with someone. I mean, I have like invested myself with these kids. It's like a lot of time of a lot of repetitive stuff that was sometimes not the most fun in the world. And, but if there was one thing that happened by the end of those years, I was invested. And because I was invested, I found myself finding delights in that thing, with that relationship, which I was so invested in, but it came because of those years of investment that I put in. Not always by choice. I would get a sitter anytime I possibly could. I want to I stress that as much as possible. But sometimes I just couldn't. And it turned out most of the time, I just couldn't. By developing the habit of returning to God's word, again and again, We grow in our delight of it. The author here says that they meditate on it day and night, which means going back to it. We again think of inspiration that comes when people communicate God's word well, but we also think of information. We think of like taking in more knowledge, learning more because we're literate and because we we like the idea of, of gaining more of that and thinking that that will help us. But what we recognize over time is that it isn't actually the accumulation of biblical knowledge that leads one to be truly blessed person. It is to actually stop and to meditate upon things again and again, repeatedly, to hear the voice of God in that and to actually find things in that that are profound and significant. The author here, this psalm is believed to have been added when the psalms were compiled as an introduction to the psalms. We have a couple of different ways that we know that, but one of the ways is just the fact that this is a psalm that's clearly here to point out to us that if we want to live the blessed life, then let us approach this thing like the psalms um, with our desire to meditate upon them and go back to them again and again. As you do that, says the psalmist, you will delight in it. And he who delights in it is one who will find themselves truly blessed. The blessed man finds his strength in the word of God. And this is gender neutral, guys. The blessed person, the blessed woman, finds their strength in the word of God. They find their strength in the word of God. It is not just a thing that is there that you're supposed to follow because it's rules and you don't want to get in trouble. 
It's not just a thing that's there that tells you some old-fashioned way of living your life that you really wish said different things because it kind of seems to just make your life harder a lot of the time. Uh, it's not just this thing that you get taught by someone else. And it's not just something that you can understand because you've studied it extensively. You'll notice the emphasis here on meditation, on going back to it again and again. The blessed man actually sees the word of God as the source of their life. I will go back to this and I will find life in it. But that's because I've developed a relationship with it where it is a root that I have established into the soil which means it will, it will continue to sustain me regardless of the season. The wicked man, on the other hand, has a very different source of information. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, sits in the seat of scoffers. This is the wicked person. And what it's talking about here is the other source of information that we have. If we don't have God's word, then all we have is... The ideas and the words of all the people around us. We have the thoughts and the opinions and the knowledge of people. We have the, the, the accumulated knowledge of, of culture and the habits that are formed in that. We have um, the information that we can gather as people who are finite and don't have the mind of God, but that is the best that we can have. Uh, what this is describing here, walking in the counsel of the wicked, standing in the way of sinners, sitting in the seat of scoffers, it, you see it's talking about sort of the, the, the thinking, the behaving, and the belonging of a person's life. To walk in the counsel of the wicked is to think to take in their counsel, to think like a person who doesn't have the word of God in their life, which is a wicked person. Um, instead of the law of the Lord, the counsel of the wicked shapes the thinking of this person. And this is what happens. Because I can scroll through even, and I can look at God's word if I'm going to look for something, or I can scroll through and I can find the words of everyone else, the opinions of everyone else, and uh, and so many voices saying to me, here is how your relationships should look. Here is how your priorities should be. Here are the things that you should believe. Here is who you really are. Here is who we really are. Here is what your family really should look like. Here is what's important and what isn't. Here is what love looks like. Here is what hate looks like. Here is what acceptance looks like. Here is what grace and mercy look like. Here is what forgiveness looks like. And when people have deserved it, have deserved it. And when people absolutely have not, here's what a real friend looks like. By the way, it'll be almost no one. And here is who a real friend doesn't look like. It'll be almost everyone, right? We're going to listen to some voice. I know that feels condescending. I know that feels uh, disheartening to us to think, no, I'm not me. I've got my own ideas. I've got my own thoughts. I've got my own stuff that I go with. But that's not the way that God designed us. God designed us to draw from him. And if we're not drawing from his word, we're gonna draw from something else. He says, the wicked man only can look to the counsel of the wicked, stand in the way of sinners. To actually choose now that their thoughts have told them one thing, to actually just behave and walk in the lifestyle of those who also don't believe in this word of God. And then ultimately they find themselves sitting in the seat of scoffers. This is kind of talking about like a, a, a gradual degree of getting comfortable with a thing. 
At first, you're just kind of looking at it because you like the ideas and the thoughts, you're listening to it. After that, what you get to is you're acting a certain way. And then a person who is sitting in the seat of scoffers is someone who has become so confident in what they believe and how they live that they are now pridefully mocking other people because that's what we do. We get so confident in a thing that we then mock people. We then scoff at people. We then go, I can't believe anybody would think anything other than what I think and what I believe. This is uh, also talked about in the book of Jeremiah. There's sort of like a partner uh, passage to this one, I think, that says very similar things in Jeremiah, but it actually really emphasizes um, in its own way some of these things we're talking about. So the wicked man finds his strength not from the word of God, but from their surroundings, from, from the voices around us, from the circumstances around us, from the culture around us, from the information that we've collectively gathered as people around us. That's it. That's all you have to go on. And the wicked man finds their strength just in the immediate surroundings. They do not find their strength in this, in this river, this stream of water that continues flowing. We read about this in Jeremiah 17. This is what the Lord says. Cursed is the one who trusts in man, if my trust is not in the word of God, I can only put my trust in men and the, in the information that we've got that we're coming up with ourselves, who draws strength from mere flesh. If I cannot draw my strength from the word of God, then I must only be able to draw it from what I myself can do and what other people can accomplish through their flesh and whose heart turns away from the Lord. This is an even better description, I think, of what it is to simply be on this other path. All I really have at that point, all I really have is trust in man. That's all I have. Wherever man is, whatever man has figured out currently, that's all I can really go with. All I really have is to draw strength from flesh, the things we can do and figure out and not do. All I can do is have a heart that has ultimately been turned away from God. And it describes this person in a very specific way. They're like a bush in the wastelands. They will not see prosperity when it comes. They will dwell in the parched places of the desert in a salt land where no one lives. They draw strength from their surroundings. And that might work when conditions are ideal. Uh, what you know about arid climates, places like where the psalmist is writing and talking about um, in the ancient Near East is they're basically describing an environment where um, there wasn't a lot of water. You guys may not know that. I'm gonna blow your minds here. The water that we have is not like, it's not like this everywhere, okay? So we think of water as this never-ending thing that we have literally falling from the sky constantly, but not all parts of the world experience the same amount of water. And in those other parts of the world, uh, what you got used to was only really seeing things of substance like trees growing in places where you knew there was going to be water all the time places where there were streams and rivers. Everywhere else was just parched land. So yes, under ideal circumstances, under ideal conditions, things would grow. A shrub would grow. A plant would sprout up because it had recently rained, because the weather was mild enough to allow that to happen. Maybe it was the shallow soil that we talked about before, and that works pretty well. It might even grow faster. These bushes, these shrubs grow really fast compared to trees. But ultimately, they are dependent on what's around them. They're dependent on their surroundings. And this is where we see the actual life of the person looking different, not just the source. Psalm 1 again says, he is like a tree, this blessed man, who was planted by streams of water. 
planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season, its leaf does not wither, and all that he does, he prospers. So a person who is blessed, the blessed man, establishes himself in a place where he will receive a never-ending supply of life, like a river. If you look for the trees on the horizon, what you will find is that the trees tell you where the water is, where the water didn't dry up, where all the water went to. We think of these rivers and streams as like the place where all the water just goes to. You know, that's like where it goes to get away from us because we're so sick of it. They think of it as the place where water comes to. It's not just transportation or something like that. It's where life can happen and keep happening even after the rain goes away and the sun gets especially hot. The sun will scorch these other shrubs and these other plants. But what we see here is that this person um, will be able to thrive in any season and condition. The blessed man thrives in any season and in any condition. The blessed man will continue to live and experience life even when the seasons change, even when the conditions are not as ideal. This is a person who is planted by a stream of water. When we choose to trust our lives, to trust ourselves to the word of God, and we choose to go back to God's truth again and again, to the point of meditating upon it and making it, a, and making it direct the way we think, not our own heart even, not our own flesh, and not the voices outside of us and around us. When we have that kind of a relationship with the word of God, we will find that we have planted ourselves, established ourselves next to a source of life that will not dry up, that will not go away. And that will lead us to then a kind of life that is truly blessed, so even when the conditions are crazy, it's like those conditions are not where I draw my life. The, 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 the climate and the environment around is not where I draw my life. It is this source that gives life to me. That is where I draw it from. So for one man, the blessed man, he is living his life connected to this thing. And for the wicked man, he will thrive only when the conditions are ideal. He will thrive only when the conditions are ideal. And this is not a very, um, it's not a very long life, that's for sure. The wicked man finds strength in his surroundings, and because of that, he thrives only when those conditions are ideal. We read this in, um, in Jeremiah again. The blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. They will be like a tree, planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when the heat comes. Its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. So when the heat comes, it is not afraid. Uh, its leaves always being green speaks to the fact that like um, its leaves in season are green. That's what the psalm uh, tells us. And it has no worries in a year of drought because its roots have been able to go down deep to where the water is constant, which is what the word of God does for us. So the way that this person's life looks is different. But then we also see what this life produces. This life produces something that is different. And it says this at the end here, um, it never fails to bear fruit. So the blessed man will live a life that involves fruit. The blessed man lives through the seasons, and bears fruit. 
lives through this season into the next one and also is able to bear fruit. Scripture tells us that in Psalm 1, the wicked are not so. They are like the chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. So the chaff is when you, um, you know, were sort of processing things like, like wheat or corn. Like you, there was this light part that came off from the outside like a skin. And then you could very easily watch that be blown away and you'd be left with the part that you want. They would say that is what the wicked is ultimately going to be like. Jeremiah describes it as being like a shrub that grows for a while, but then burns up and goes away, dries up and goes away. So the, the type of life that the blessed man has is one where um, I will grow, and, and then when the season changes, all the leaves are going to fall off. And when the leaves fall off and we enter into a new season, that doesn't actually mean that I'm dead. It doesn't actually mean that my life has ended. In fact, that's just a season and that's supposed to happen. Then the, the leaves come back and ultimately something is produced, which is fruit. So you see, a truly blessed person is someone who does not have to be so focused and fixated on simply surviving on simply being alive, that they are actually now able to live their lives for something that is more than just their own survival and experience. It is abundance. It's not just about me surviving. It's about me being a person with a life that is now abundant. Scripture tells us that a, that a believer is meant to bear fruit in their life. Jesus tells us in this parable that ultimately we are meant to bear fruits many times over ourselves. So partly what that refers to is, is the, the, the fruit that we develop, uh, the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of the Christian life, the things that come naturally as a result of establishing these roots and living a life of faithfulness. But ultimately what Jesus is talking even more about is the fruit that comes from the gospel, is the fruit of other people coming to faith. He was encouraging his disciples saying, if you, continue, if you are the good soil, then not only will a plant grow that is you in your life that will look great and be great, but that plant will actually produce something that goes beyond it. That plant will produce abundance. It will multiply. It will not just be a life of addition. This is huge. Because when you're a shrub, and you don't live that way, the wicked man, they will wither and they will begin again year after year after year. Your life will be a short one and then you will go back and say, I've experienced death. I've been reminded of my mortality, of how short these things last. And so what happens when you experience the withering and the death year after year, then what happens is you become preoccupied entirely with survival. Like life is just about surviving. You become fixated on how can I live as long as possible? How can I be as safe as possible? How can I have security? How can I have health? How can I have the kind of abundance? To them, abundance only means me surviving. So we begin fixated on, on ourselves, our physical bodies, and being able to be people who can prolong this life as much as possible. We get fixated on, uh, on accumulating enough stuff and enough financial security so that we know that, that we'll be okay maybe a little bit longer, right? That's what fruitfulness looks like to someone who has to be fixated on that. But ultimately, that is a very short-term way of looking at things. But when all we can do is grow in such a way that we wither and we begin again and again year after year, we give up on the idea of our life actually producing real fruitfulness, of real abundance, 
of real multiplication. And instead, we settle for a life where we just get by as well as we can, and we survive the next scorching heat that comes up, or we survive the next difficult thing that happens that makes, it, makes us realize we're not connected to the water source again and again. Matthew says to us, Jesus says to us in Matthew, the seed falling on the good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop, yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown. Ultimately, we're talking about something called bearing fruit. You see, Jesus wasn't telling a story about a sower who just wanted to grow decorative flowers, and he wasn't telling a story about a grower that just wanted to grow some nice uh, sod, you know, or a nice lawn. He was telling a story about a sower who was spreading out seeds with the intent of growing fruit, with the intent of growing something like the fruit that we see on a tree. Ultimately, the tree that we see described by the psalmist is one that is there by the water and ultimately doesn't just survive season after season, but actually produces fruit, something that is abundant. And that that fruit itself can fall to the ground and those seeds are a way that the sower continues to spread their work, which is how it works in our lives. When we talk about bearing fruit, about lives of abundance, we talk about something that is very, uh, from the Christian perspective, from what God's word tells us, it's really different from the way we think of it because we think of it as, I want to be a more patient person. I want to be a more loving person. I, I want to have that kind of fruit in my life. So I will go and work on those things, right? This year, I want to be more patient. This year, I'm going to try to be more loving. I'm going to try to be more kind. Good luck doing it that way. It will not work. Because what it turns out is that the way that God produces those fruits in our lives is as a natural byproduct of both the roots that have been developed and the things that he does in our lives to bring those fruit about. What we will do is we will find ourselves going, I'm realizing something. Or other people might say, I'm seeing in you this thing. We'll say, I'm seeing this thing in myself that wasn't there before. And that thing must be the result of what God is doing. The fruit is naturally growing. You can't focus on just having this stuff And then hoping that maybe one day it'll change you on the inside. We start in here, and then it comes as a result. It is the same thing from the abundance and the multiplication that comes as we share our faith and as we live lives or words connected to God's word. There's no way that we're going to be able to be people who live on mission. There's no way we're going to be able to be people who actually share the love of Jesus with those outside of our own community even or our own families if we're so focused and fixated on just getting by this season of just having enough to survive, of just doing okay for a little while longer until the next thing comes up. You see, this idea of being the tree that is planted by the stream of water, one that ultimately is on, is the, it leads to the life of the blessed man. As it's talking about what it looks like to establish ourselves somewhere where we grow roots, we're not just talking, when we say roots, about the word of God. That is not the only root that we have. Now, the great thing about God's word, and I believe it's the reason why it's, it's, it's held up that we must be receptive to it again and again, is that it is in God's word that if we go to it and if we are in it, that we will see clearly the other roots that we're told to develop in our lives, that we're told to cultivate in our lives. Because if you are in God's word for any amount of time, you will eventually come to the realization that God is also telling us that we have to talk to him. 
that we have to actually go to him in prayer, which is not easy or comfortable or natural for us to do. We have to actually tell him about the things in our lives, even though he already seems to probably know those things because we believe that he's that big of a God. He says, I know, and it's nuts, but as a child asks their father, I want you to ask me into these things. I want you to bring me into these things, and your act of doing that will be good. That, that, that the reason that we meditate on his word again and again is also because it is a way that God speaks to us. We are able to begin to discern his voice in our own lives. You see, there's another root, and it's called prayer. It's called actually developing a, a relationship and a conversation with God. And it does not come naturally, and it does not come easily, and it doesn't come overnight, and no one can do it for you. You're like, well, that sounds like a great sales pitch. Thanks. <laughs> the way that it happens is we say, because I want to have a faith that is rooted and established, that will continue on season after season, that I am going, when January 1st comes around and I start going, what needs to happen in my life? The first thing I'm gonna do is I'm gonna look at these roots and I'm gonna say, are these things happening in my life? Is God's word a part of my life? Is, is, is God's voice and is me coming to him in prayer a part of my life? If not, what does it look like for me to have that rhythm in my life? What does it look like for me to have that habit and that discipline and to go back to it in my life? What does it look like to develop that thing? We memorize his word, we study it, we read it, we meditate on it day and night. We listen to his voice in prayer. We invite him into our life. We do that again and again. We come to God in worship because if we're in his word, we will find at some point that it will tell us very quickly that God created us to glorify and worship him and that actually coming and worshiping God, actually worshiping him on our own, actually having a heart that is inclined towards worshiping God and not ourselves, that is a root that develops in our life. And as we begin to cultivate a life of worship, as we begin to cultivate this habit and develop this rhythm and, and, are, and are consistent with it, guess what will happen? We will stick another root down into the soil, and that root will draw life once again, regardless of the season or what's going on. And without that root, when the season changes, when the circumstances change, when the weather changes, we'll find ourselves struggling. We'll find ourselves withering. Spend any time in his word, and we'll see that it tells us the need for something called community. The scripture tells us again and again that we aren't to do this alone. That it talks about the church. It talks about um, inviting others into our lives and making ourselves available in the lives of others, which is not something that many of us find naturally very easy. Scripture says to us, it shows us again and again to plant yourself in a community of believers and no matter what happens in your life, no matter what happens in your life, do not try to navigate it without that community around you. This is a team sport. Community itself, though, takes work. Community itself does require discipline. It does require developing the rhythm of that. In fact, it takes a lot of patience, and it takes a lot of grace, and it takes a lot of endurance, and it sure takes some flexibility, too. And it takes a lot of these things that are not necessarily easy for us, but if we're willing to, to continue to endure in those things, to continue to be willing to, to give those things to it, then we will find that we will be in community. And what we will find as we develop the rhythm of community in our life, and we are not going through the Christian life on our own. And by community, I don't just mean your family either. I don't just mean your best friends either. I mean like the church 
I mean like those living around you who are lost. I mean developing a sense of community that is bigger than just the people that are easiest for you to be around. You see, our world's view of community is very narrow and self-centered. This biblical view of community is very diverse, and it is centered on Christ, which means that it's not ultimately going to be just about the people that are easiest for me to be around. We tend to think of community as like, um, you know, my, uh, I need friends, and so I need community. And then I get friends, and now I have community. And now I'm good. Thanks. Community's all filled up. You should get some community, because I can't tell you how great it is. I just can't tell you enough how great it is. I love having it, and I don't need any more of it. But that's not really the way that the Scripture describes community. Scripture doesn't describe community that way. It's a group of friends you make. Once you get in on the click, then you're good. Clicks are terrible when you're on the outside. When you get on the inside, you're like, clicks are the greatest thing ever. Uh, that's why it stinks being a youth pastor because you will literally have a huge argument with a student one year and the next year you'll be having a completely different argument with them because they're in a completely different place because they found what they consider to be a sense of community. That's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about choosing to make ourselves available and vulnerable to other people even though we know that's going to be a messy thing. It's centered on Jesus. And why do we choose this? Because God intends to use other people to work in your life. And he intends to use you to work in the lives of others. He's made that clear. But it doesn't happen on its own. It's a root that we, uh, that we work on the rhythm and the discipline and the habit of. And as we do, as we develop it, we send it down into the ground. And that root keeps us connected to something that will help us when the season changes and it seems like the weather's different. We even see a root that is formed that involves serving other people, that involves living a life of chosen, not, not forced upon us, living a life in which we choose to serve other people even though we really want to be served. Jesus taught his disciples the importance of this. That itself is a rhythm that is so important to work into our life. And you cannot spend your life uh, in Scripture very long without seeing how regular of a part of the Christian life that is. That as we serve others, which is not easy or natural, and as we do it because God tells us to do it, we send a root down into the soil, and that root connects us to something that will sustain us long after the weather has changed and the season is different. You see, it does come down to the word of God showing us these things, which is why I believe that it begins there. But that is not the only root that is formed in the life of a Christian. Habits are huge. Rhythms are huge. When a family chooses, we're going to have dinner together every night that we can, no matter what is happening at a table, that is not an easy decision to follow through on. It requires sacrifice. Sometimes it doesn't lead to the most stimulating conversation especially depending on the life stage of the people that you're sharing that table with or how focused you are on your job and things that you think are so important or how much you're treating people a certain way in your life. But if it's considered important, if we recognize the need for it, then we develop it as a habit and as a rhythm. Our life is filled with these rhythms. Our life is filled with these habits. The question is, are the rhythms and the habits and the disciplines in my life, those that are establishing roots, so that I can continue to grow. The blessed man is the one who plants themselves by the stream of water that never dries up, that will always fulfill, and that will always bring us life. Let's pray.